John chapter 20. Okay. Here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about passion. Um, and here's, here's what I want us to kind of get, our, get our, um, our head around, our mind around, our thoughts around. And that is, um, have you ever lost your passion? Have your, has, your, has your passion for God ever lessened? Maybe you're sitting here right now, or maybe you're at any of our locations in Seattle watching this right now. And if you are honest with yourself, your passion for God is not what it once was. What has happened to your passion? I want to submit to you through a collection of scriptures uh, one of the primary reasons I believe that our passion for God, our passion for who he is and the life he's called us to and what he has done for us, why it wanes, why it lessens, why it feels like it's not there. Maybe you've lost your passion, you've lost your zeal, you've lost your love, you've lost, and maybe you're here, maybe nobody really knows this, but you're hanging by a thread. You're hanging on barely. You're wondering, is this actually real? Is this legitimate? Should I keep actually pursuing faith? Should I keep pursuing God? Is this something that really resonates or matters to me? I'd like to talk to us of why I think our passion lessens when it comes to God. Now, I want to say this. I'm speaking from personal experience tonight. Uh, I know exactly what it's like for your passion to wane. In fact, I'll take it a step further. I know what it's like to preach sermons when you don't have much passion for God. Try that on for size. That sucks. Um, but I've been there. I've been on this stage and other stages speaking to our community and other communities where personally inside my passion for God is lean, it's limited, it's little, and yet I'm required or I've signed up to be a communicator of the story of God. And I've found myself at times, as embarrassing it is, is to admit, as it is to admit that I have preached from a place of very little passion. No one wants to live like that. We want to be passionate about what we do, and when it comes to God, we want a true and genuine passion. Here's what I'm believing for in the next few minutes by way of study of the story of Jesus and who he is. I'm actually believing that you could leave this space or the different locations in Seattle watching right now, you could leave with a real, genuine, hot, red hot, white hot, I don't know why we say those things, um, passion for God. I really believe that, that you could actually leave here with your heart truly full of desire and passion for God. Now, that's a big call for the next 40 minutes, but I can believe for that. Now, to make this possible, I'm going to need 80 minutes. I'm kidding. You know, so you're like, <laughs> I'm out. That's your problem. You know, start condemning people. <laughs> Who will give me 80? If you won't leave, you know, anyways, but <laughs> bad way to start a church. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 20. John chapter, what happened to my passion? What happened to my passion? I guess that's my title. What happened to my passion? On the evening of that day, we read this verse the last few weeks. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, again, a little bit of context. Jesus has now died on the middle cross. It is now the night of the third day. He promised, he predicted his own death, he predicted his own burial, he predicted his own resurrection. On the night of the third day, his few followers left are terrified. The air has been sucked out of the room. They've locked themselves in a little room, hoping no one will find them for fear of their own life. It says the doors were being locked, the disciples for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then it says, and we've talked about this before, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Okay, some English words do not do the Greek justice. Okay, these disciples were not just glad. Okay, you are glad when your Amazon package is delivered. Okay, this is a little bit different. You are glad when your when the, your local supermarket has your favorite deodorant. Okay, this is more than glad. They are actually categorically beside themselves. They have gone from sad, mad, afraid, fearful to ecstatic exhilarated, electric. And the reason why is because Jesus has beat death. Jesus 
has delivered on what he said. Therefore, if he has beat crucifixion, if he has come back to life, everything he said is true. By definition, it is John chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. This, my brothers and sisters, is the beginning of what we now call Christianity. This is the beginning. I don't mean to burst your bubble. Adam and Eve is not the beginning of Christianity. Noah and the ark is not the beginning of Christianity. David and Goliath is not the beginning of Christianity. The birth of Jesus, not the beginning of Christianity. The crucifixion of Jesus, not the beginning of Christianity. In fact, Paul writes later in Scripture, he says, if Jesus has not beat death, if he did not come back to life, if he did not beat the grave, our faith is futile. And he says, of all people on the planet, those who worship Jesus and follow Jesus are pitiful. Unless he actually came back from the dead. This is the night faith truly began. Jesus did the unthinkable. He did the unimaginable. He did the miraculous. He came back from the dead. He resurrected, and his disciples went from passionless, terrified, mortified, embarrassed, and sad to ecstatic, electric, excited, and couldn't wait to share the news. Not many days after this, these same people will share the account, the eyewitness account of the resurrection, and in one day, 3,000 people will accept the eyewitness account of Jesus beating death, and they will become followers of Jesus. Now, you do the math in terms of population, global population, that would be the equivalent of almost 3 million people in one day in 2019 deciding to follow Jesus. Now, it should be added, the 3,000 people that were added to the church, this is before there was a New Testament. It was all word of mouth. Christianity began on the night of the third night, the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to his disciples. That's going to be really important for us going forward when investigating why has our passion for God lessened. Or maybe you're sitting here right now or watching from any of our Seattle locations. You're thinking, actually, Judah, I've never been more passionate about God. Fantastic. Mark this message, put it in your back pocket, and when the day comes... When you feel your passion lessening, revisit these passages. Now you say, Judah, that is so bad for you to predict that my passion is going to wane. Or we could just admit that we're human beings. And this is called life, okay? There's going to be some days. Mama said there'll be days like this where you are like super Christian and the next day you are, you are, you're, you're teetering on atheism, okay? You're just like, I don't even know if there is a God, okay? It's called life. It's called emotions. It's real, okay? So we're all going to have these moments. So I think this message will be applicable. Will you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you for the moments we share. We ask that you would uh, help us to understand the different verses that we're going to read. We ask for your assistance, for your partnership, for your leading, your guiding. Thank you so much for your grace and your love for each and every person. But I pray especially for anyone, uh, whether in Seattle or here right now in LA, who would, for whatever reason, feel like an outsider or feel like you know, they don't belong, I pray by your love and your grace and your goodness, they would sense and feel that they belong in this room. We thank you for that. Thank you for the Seattle Seahawks. Oh God, help us win on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. For those watching this on Sunday in Seattle, pray. <laughs> pray, pray, pray. Oh man. Um, have you ever lost passion for something that you love? Um, if the answer is, is not yes, um, you're a liar. Like, start doing that. That's how I start my sermon. You're a liar. I believe you're a liar. Truth is, we're all pretty familiar with that, aren't we? It's something that you love, and I can think about my own experience and my own journey. I grew up watching my dad preach, right? Watching my dad preach, and watching some of his friends preach and watching, watching Bishop T.D. Jakes preach and other people and just being like, man, someday I want to preach. I want to tell people about 
Jesus. I remember, man, being nine years old in Boise, Idaho. I remember dreaming about preaching when I was 12, preached my first sermon in Boston in 10 minutes when I was 13, and did my first week of revival meetings in Alaska when I was 16, and we've destroyed those cassette tapes completely. Um, and then started preaching in uh, Toronto when I was 19 and started going to different youth conferences and things. And, and I remember the exhilaration of the opportunity that anyone would listen to me as I tried to explain the story of Jesus. And I absolutely loved every minute of it. Now I'm 41, for those that don't know, I like to reference my age. <clears throat> but 41, I'm like, I'm at halftime. I am, really. I really am. It's kind of weird. I'm, I'm at halftime. Like, I'm that guy. I'm like, halftime is where really great decisions are made or really dumb decisions are made. So pray for me. I'm at halftime. So being uh, in midlife uh, and looking back, I wish I could be honest with you. I, I, I wish I could tell you that every time I've stepped on stage, I've been exhilarated and excited. But but I, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit it, it's not like that. There's been countless times where I feel like the last thing I want to do is the thing that I at once loved. I got a few friends, and I've watched enough 30 for 30s and ESPN and documentaries to hear about these athletes whose stories go somewhat similarly, right? They start off growing up in this country or maybe a nearby country, and all they want to do is, pray, is play pro sports. And then, of course, they, they finally make it to the big show, whatever big leagues it is, the NFL or the NHL or the NBA or the MLS. And <laughs> it's true. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. The Seattle won the MLS championship. Congrats. I, no one told me, but I'm pumped about it. Um, yeah, we beat L.A., didn't we? No, Graham's like, don't talk. No one cares, Graham. It's, we're good. Um, but, you know, people grow up wanting to be a pro athlete, and then, as the story goes, all of a sudden it becomes, well, a, a job. Before you know it, the, 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 the kid with, with stars in his eyes, all he wanted was one big break in the big show, and now there's contracts and agents and managers and sponsors and requirements and appearances and all of these things that suddenly removes the passion for what once was, was everything, right? It's, it's, it's human nature. Now, 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 part of this, of course, when it comes to career and these things is we always think, you know, I'm going to arrive, right? Life is like this arrival. It, it never is. But you know, once I get there, I'll be happy. And so we could go there, but that's not really the point of the message today. The point of the message is what do you do when you've lost your passion? Now, in, in all of my journey, whether it's people helping me or, or, or me maybe helping friends who are in different professions, entertainment or athletics or whatever it might be, it's always reminding them of how it all started, right? It's, it's pretty cliche. It's pretty obvious. This isn't news to you, but you, you sit down with someone who's maybe an athlete or an entertainer or a barista or a school teacher, and you go, hey, why did you get into this in the first place? Right? And that's where the magic comes back, and that's where their eyes light up, and they're like, well, I remember the first coffee I ever had. I was 12, and I remember walking into Starbucks, and you know, whatever it might be, and they're like, just the smell of coffee, right? We had a guy in our church, he like won barista of the year, right? He won like the competition. It's like a national competition. It's amazing. He could make like all the, the hearts and the trees and the things in the foam. Unbelievable. I love it. Okay. Apparently you don't care. Wow, heartless people. Okay, so, but it's not hard to see the magic come back when they're like, well, I, I dreamed about being in the big leagues, and tell me about that. And they go back and recover that, that love. It's not too dissimilar to what happens in our relationship with God. For me, again, growing up in a pastor's home, I, I've been to so many camps and advances and retreats and conferences and summits and conventions and rallies, and I could go on and on. I've been to so many, but a few that stick out is when I'm just a kid and I'm at these youth meetings or gatherings or camps or retreats, and 
a preacher back then in those days, we'd always have people come forward and we're like, if you want to give your life to God, if you want to serve God no matter what, I mean, you want to give everything, young people stand to your feet and run down to the altar and throw your life on the altar of God, you know. Those were back in the days when we're like giving my life to God. It was like God is so blessed by me giving my life to him. He must be blown away. (laughs) And I kind of thought that. So we just like, you know, just some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, God, I give you everything. Are you not blown away? You know, like, and, but I did. I mean, I opened up my big mouth and said things like, I'll do anything. All I want is you which is not totally true. I know we sing about that and stuff, but we like, we, I, I love this about church. We like sing these songs. All I want is you. Where do you want to go to eat tonight? You know, like, anyways, it just gets me thinking. But <laughs> all I want is you, God. Oh my gosh, they totally don't have my size in those jeans. But we mean it, generally speaking. We do, we try, you know, but I remember giving God my life, and I just want to do anything, I serve you, and, and, then, um, and then life happens, and God answers your prayers, and before you know it, it's like, man, it's just, it's a lot, and you don't have the passion you once had. And, and, and here's what I oftentimes suggest to friends of mine and people that I meet with. I, oftentimes, I think what happens is the things that are not the point become the point, and they steal our passion. Right? A lot of us are doing what we're doing because we love people. A lot of us, for instance, you, the, 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 Joel, the, the job or the career you've taken is because you want to inspire people, help people, encourage people. And, 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 and yet, oftentimes, instead of making it about people anymore, we, we make it about the process. We make it about the details. We make it about the contract. We make it about the money. We make it about the career. We make it about the stuff. And, and in the process of it, we lose our passion because the passion is connected to what you originally did it for in the first place. Now, some people say, oh, you're just an optimist. You you, you just see everything positively. But I oftentimes will go back to my nine-year-old self, my 11-year-old self, my 13-year-old self to recover why I'm doing this in the first place. Now, I want to translate that into first century Christians and our predecessors, our brothers and sisters, who, as Jesus had died, they would lock themselves in a room. Sufficient to say, the church as we know it, which hadn't been yet established, the followers as we know it, have lost their passion. Now, I want us to ask some important question here of this story in John chapter 20. Why have these followers lost their passion? because I'd like to suggest it is actually the same reason we lose ours. A little different from why we oftentimes lose our passion for our career. I wanna talk to you about why you lose your passion sometimes for God. So these Jesus followers are locked in a room. Now the Bible says why they're locked in a room. They're locked in a room because they are afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of dying as well. What are they also afraid of? Well, they're afraid of the fact that they followed a man who now they believe is, well, it's not true. You understand something about Jesus that people oftentimes don't misunderstand. If Jesus stayed dead, he is nothing short of a lunatic. You have to understand that. You don't get to run around town for three and a half years telling everybody you are God in the flesh, die, and everyone goes, what a good guy. Good guy. I love that guy. I loved his sermons. Really? You understood them? Not really, but I think he had a good heart. Uh, My brothers and sisters, we're talking about a man. One of his climactic sermons was, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And by the way, I don't know if you remember how the story goes. A lot of people were like, this is where I say goodbye, goodbye. Babies, kids, let's go. Let's go. We're out of here, right? There were so many people leaving. Jesus turned to the 12 closest to him and said, are you going to leave too? And basically, Peter's explanation is that we don't have much to go back to. So like, we're good. We're, we're hanging here, right? Peter did not claim that the teachings of Jesus were so clear and understandable 
and digestible, they're going to stick around. He just said, you promise eternal life. You promise it. Your claims are going to keep us with you. Some of the details of what you're teaching, we are as lost as everybody else. Okay? So, this is important now. If Jesus stays dead, all is lost. All is lost. This is so important for us to articulate, communicate, and digest together. In that little room where they are locked, let me ask you a question. Do they still have the teachings of Jesus? Of course they do. Do they still have the principles of Jesus? Of course they do. Later, they will record them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark will record Peter's account. So they're going to remember, like, they, they have all of his teachings, which we are now given because they wrote them all down, inspired by the person of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus. So they have all of the teachings in that room, but notice, all is lost. This is important to note. This is important to note. They have all the teachings, but they don't have the person, and all is lost. And it should be the same for us. We should never allow the teachings, the principles, or even the words of Jesus replace the actual person of Jesus. And I'm gonna, we're gonna give us somebody like, wait, what? I thought they're the same thing. Just, just, just bear with me, okay? All passion is gone from the church. We'll call it the church, if you will, from the Jesus followers until the person arrives. Now, when the person of Jesus enters the room, what happens to their passion? It is back with a vengeance. I mean, when it says, and the disciples were glad, again, let me just, let's just look at this again. It does not mean that Jesus walked through the wall and stood there and showed his hands and his sides and they were like, wow, fascinating. You look good. You look real good. Shock this happened. No, they are literally like, oh, ah! that's why he's like, relax, it's me, peace. And they're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. woo! And he's like, look, they're like, we're looking, ah! right? And their brains are probably going a mile a minute because they're like, oh, he, all of his claims, everything he said, it's all true, ah! right? That's how Christianity started. It did not start with a transfer of solid teaching. It's good. Point number four, boys. Write this one down. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's good. I wrote it. All right. Now, you got the seven essentials for effective evangelism? No, we don't. Okay. Let me give you number one. Always, you know, like, no, he, did, he just walked into the room, and they're like, ah! <gasps> and then instead of teaching, he's like, Touch my hands. Look at my side. He's like, I'm sending you. And they're like, we're going. Okay, so let's just go over this for a second. So Jesus says in, 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 in Matthew 16, Jesus says in Matthew 16, he asks the disciple, he says, who do you say that I am? He says, what do people say? Then who do you say? Peter says, um, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And this is the first time church has ever mentioned in the New Testament. Here it is. First time churches. He says, I tell you, Peter, I tell you, rock, that on this rock, this revelation God has given you, I'm going to build an assembly. I'm going to build a called out group of people, ecclesia, ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, 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 okay. First mention principle. First mention principle. This is the first time Jesus mentions the church. And so he's going to tell us what the church is going to be all about. Here's what the church is going to be all about. And I'm telling you, if the church will be all about this, we will not lose our passion. If the church will be all about this, we will not lose our passion. He said, I will build my church on this. Wait, 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 wait. On, what, what's this again, Jesus? It's what Peter said. What did Peter say? Well, remember, I asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are everything the prophets said. You are everything that was promised. You are God in the flesh. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, it's on that understanding, I'm going to build a group of people. They're going to be grouped together and connected on that reality. 
on a person, on a person, on a per- We have not gathered here tonight for principles. We have gathered here for a person. If you want principles, you can go to all kinds of talks. There's all kinds of gatherings you can be in. What sets us apart is we are the ecclesia of God. We are a called out group of people that what has brought us together is not mere concepts, history, or teaching. It is a person that we believe is alive in the room as we speak. We believe the same Jesus that walked through the walls of that little room is the same Jesus walking through the walls of our heart and he is alive. He's alive. He's alive. So we, we are here celebrating an event. An event. Not, not success keys. An event. Christianity existed before the New Testament existed. Don't say amen. That's so cool. <laughs> this... this records an event. This records an event. We're here because Jesus rose from the dead. Furthermore, we're gathered around his lifestyle and his claims. Now, his lifestyle and his claims fall flat unless he predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off. Then we go back and go, his lifestyle's the best and his claims are amazing. And his teachings, still very hard to understand. Can we all admit that? Absolutely. Do you know, I mean, you know how many people like, I mean, all the people I talk to before I step on this stage and preach, there are three scholars I talk to every week. And oftentimes the three scholars have three different perspectives on the teachings of Jesus. They're like, I think it might mean this. It could mean this. Most scholars agree it's this. It could be this as well. Why are his teachings so cloaked? Because the point is not so much its teachings. It's to be near to his person. And so his teachings are such a way that you have to go, whoa, 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 Jesus, what did that mean again? He's like, come on, come on, I'll tell you. Just walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Yeah, but can you explain that? I'm going to just demonstrate it. Just watch me, just watch me. Okay, this is amazing. Whoa, that's crazy. But here's what's happened. We, um, we've taken an event, his claims, his lifestyle, and we've turned it into... Um, teachings, traditions, and principles for good living. And we wonder why our passion ebbs and flows. Because what this has turned into, instead of a celebration of an eyewitness of account of the only man who's ever beat crucifixion, beat death, and rose from the dead, we turn it into... All right, get your pens out, boys and girls. Let's write down seven keys to make sure your career is fantastic. And I got no problem. In fact, if you have seven keys to make my career fantastic, I'm so down. I'm just saying, that's not the glue that brought us together. And by the way, there's way better people to get that from than me. I'm, I'm not a motivational speaker. I am here to tell you about an event and a lifestyle and the claims this man who beat death claims. So, so then Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, which is to say, that is Jesus again predicting his own death. He is to say what this church will be about is a person, and it will be about celebrating that person who has beat the gates of hell, who has defeated death. And so make no mistake about it. We are here celebrating an event. And because of the resurrection, we now go back and look at his lifestyle, his claims, and his teachings, which are still hard to decipher and understand. Therefore, we have to stay close to Jesus. Now, let me give you, and, and I promise we're gonna, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of how you can stay close to the person and quit following principles. Now, I know that's not popular, 
let me, let me just say this real frankly. One of the reasons, and I'm looking on camera for everybody in Seattle, one of the reasons your passion keeps going up and down is because you have replaced following Jesus with following principles. You have replaced a person with principles. What's that called? It's called being American, and I'm proud to be one. But that's what it is. Right? We're not, we're not given much to the supernatural, mysticism, mystery. We're given more to the pragmatic, right? And that's what we, oftentimes in our Bible schools, we raise preachers to tell them, hey, tell them the three, the three takeaways, the three practical tools, how do you, and I'm just telling you sometimes, my brothers and sisters, this is a person and it's not practical. It's a mystery. And sometimes you got a nudge that only God can nudge you with and you don't know why, but God said, get up, walk, don't stay, go over there, talk to that person. And you don't know why, and it ain't practical. It's a person living on the inside of you who is alive, who is guiding you and leading you through life. And guess what? You're going to make some mistakes. But we are going to commit to following a person who beat death, predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, his lifestyle, his claims, and his teachings are true. Jesus says this to some Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. Listen to Jesus. He says, you make, talking to teachers of the law and the Torah, he says, you make the word of God void by your traditions, by your traditions. So you've taken God's story and you've replaced it with traditions. Now, this is, of course, different from what the Pharisees did. They, he's speaking, Jesus speaking of the Torah. They're taking the first five books of the Bible and instead of actually adhering to the Torah, they have kind of manipulated it to fit what they want. And Jesus actually gives examples about taking care of your mom and dad and, and, and such. Now, the same kind of approach we take with the New Testament. We take the story that records the event of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and then the followings, the, all the followers in the first century churches and beyond who tell the eyewitness account of Jesus, we take it and we, we turn it into teachings, traditions, and principles. And by doing that, we, we miss the power. We miss the power. Now, <clears throat> Here's three signs. I just want to give you three signs, and this is if the shoe fits, wear it. If not, just save it for later, okay? But here's, here's three signs that you know you have replaced the actual person, the resurrection, the event, his claims, his lifestyle. You've replaced it with mere principles. I know I've done this before, and traditions and teachings. Here's one of the ways. Number one, you get tunnel vision in your spiritual life. Here's one of the dead giveaways. This happened to the Pharisees. What do I mean by tunnel vision? You pick and choose from this book what you adhere to and what you don't think matters. Okay? So for instance, you pick an issue in our culture that you believe is biblical. Okay? Let's say you stand for that issue and you decide it's the most important thing. And it may be. But you decide, I am going to stand for this. And what becomes increasingly ironic, and we've all been there, is here you are making this strong stand for something you believe is biblical. And yet, the strength in which you take this stand leads to oftentimes a loveless lifestyle towards people you believe are not living according to what you're taking a stand for. It's called tunnel vision. All you can see is this biblical principle, not the person. Because if you saw the person you got the principle from, you would use his tone and his approach. But because you don't have the person, you only have the principle, one of the dead giveaways is tunnel vision, and you can't tell that as passionate you are about that one biblical principle, the underbelly is that by standing so strong over here, you are neglecting another principle over here. So for instance, and I'm not just trying to pick on Christians, but you know, I'm at halftime, 41, midlife crisis. But <laughs> Christians, particularly in this country, and, that, and, that's, and it is what it is, we're known for certain things we stand for. We're known for things we stand for, which is interesting. We should 
be known for who we love. It's the number one thing we should be known for according to scripture. By, by the way, the Bible says you don't even know if you love God if you don't love people. Right? I mean, to say you love someone who loves something, but you don't love the something that person loves, but you claim to love that person. It's like, Charles, I love you. I just don't love anything you love. And she's like, it ain't going to go down like that, bro. Like, if you love me, you're going to love what I love. And I'm like, oh, that's true. That's true. So God loves what above all things? People! Right? But when we allow teachings, traditions, and principles to replace a person, one of the telltale signs is we get tunnel vision. Well, I just believe that. And I love to say, I think that's fantastic. But I would also like to say what's also fantastic is, and people are like, well, yeah, well, and, and here it happens. We pick and choose. We pick and choose. Pick and choose. If there's some picking and choosing in your life, that might be one of the signs that you've removed yourself from the event, the person, the phenomenon, Jesus, and you've, one of the other things, not only tunnel vision, but elitism, elitism, elitism. And Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 11. He tells the same guys, Pharisees. He says, what are you lawyers or Pharisees and teachers? For you've taken away the key of knowledge. Listen to what he says. You enter your, you do not enter yourselves and you hinder those who are entering. Now here's what we do. Okay, again, different application, elitism. When we replace Jesus with principles and teachings and, 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 and traditions, um, we end up projecting ourselves at a status that is not easy to achieve. And we start to teach to people that for you to reach my status, you have some work to do. Now, brother, if you want to pray as much as I've prayed, then help you, then you go ahead and do that. But I just want you to know, I have woken up at 6 a.m. every morning and prayed for the city of Los Angeles. The door that God has opened to me has not come easy. I got knee marks on my carpet where I've shopped the Lord. Oh, you want a good, you want good children? You got to raise them up. And we don't mean to. But again, we start projecting principles as the highway and on-ramp to all the blessings of God. You want to be blessed? You got to walk in the blessing. You want to be blessed? You got to do what is right and godly. Some of that may have some credence at times, but last time I checked, we are welcomed into his family by merit, no, by Jesus. He became sin so that we could become right with God, and he's give us, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. But see, elitism Elitism is a classic projection of someone who has replaced. Um, see, Jesus is the great leveler. And he did this, talk about his lifestyle. Everywhere he went, he was always robbing the Pharisees and Sadducees of their high, high perch. And they hated it. They were always like, hello, Jesus. And he's like, you're just like us, bro. And he's, no, I'm not. I am not like anyone else. <laughs> Right? And he told stories on them. He pulled the veil back. And he's like, these guys are no different than you guys. They just wear like long robes and they do things in front of you to make them seem impressive. They're not. And everyone's like, oh, I don't think you're supposed to do that. And of course, they were like the mob. And so they were like planning to kill him because they're like, he's taking away our high status in society. And Jesus came to destroy elitism. He's like, come one, come all. He wrecked the temple. He threw things over because the temple had turned into a place. If you didn't have enough money, you couldn't get right with God. Ultimate exclusivity and elitism. We still do it today. Because if you're not close to the person, elitism gives you an edge. It gives you a sense of identity. And so our bumper stickers give us away and other things give us away as we stroll through our towns and villages and cities and we tell people, I'm a believer. I live by the word of God. That's great. A friend of mine told me today, he goes, you know, Judah, the only, only difference between me and a murderer, do you know what it is? I was like, no. He's like, the murderer killed someone. 
And I was like, well said. <laughs> Who's ever thought about it? Okay, so you know what I mean? It's like, hello? Like, Jesus the great leveler. Now, if you don't want to be on the level playing field as everybody, don't hang with Jesus. Take his teachings and run for your life. Because there's no room for elitism. And lastly, one of the telltale signs is tunnel vision, elitism, and I end with this, knowledge. So when you don't have Jesus, you pick and choose what you want from his teachings and his ways. You project elitism, and people have to do great things to get what you've done because you have done great things. And then you project this idea of incredible knowledge. And here's what happens. We turn a storybook into a competition of knowledge. And the, this very book, do you know what it says? It says, knowledge puffs up. Translation, knowledge makes you a jerk, if you'll let it. Makes you prideful. So we turn scripture into an end of knowledge. So now, instead of knowing Jesus and following Jesus, the goal of our faith is who knows the most? Who knows the most, right? And we do things like this, like turn to the book of Hezekiah. And your friend's like, all right. <laughs> and you're like, bro, there's not even a book of Hezekiah. <laughs> I love Kanye's words. He's like, when I used to think the book of Job was a job. And I'm like, that's, but he's been around church enough, apparently. You think it's a job? It's Job, bro. It's a person. <laughs> do you know the 66 books in a song? Do you know them all? Do it. Genesis, Revelation, Exodus. Do you know them? Do you know them? Oh, you don't. I do. Want me to do them for you? Sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot about the Bible. That's, that's so cool. Right? Like, I grew up, like, I now tell people I read like a verse a day. It's, and, and like in Christianum, you, it's like you can't tell people you only read a verse a day. Oh my gosh, you have to do three in the old, two in the new. <laughs> you, you don't read through the Bible in a year? How about this one? Be honest, man. Have you read the book cover to cover? How can you claim to know him? You know, like I've been in meetings like that. I've been in coffees with, with, with fellow believers, and they're like, honestly, man, shoot straight with me. Have you read the book cover to cover? It's amazing how we claim to know the man, and we've never read his book. I'm like, oh, okay, we are getting out of control here. <laughs> the worst is when you go over to friends' houses, and they want to play Bible trivia because they know the pastor's there, and I'm like, oh, God. We are about to lose some church members tonight, you know? <laughs> Who made the ark? Moses! <laughs> no? Uh, Chelsea! <laughs> Chelsea always wins, so we, we go home with a lot of cash. What are we betting now at Bible trivia, you know? <laughs> How good would that be? Oh, man. <clears throat> this sermon's falling apart. Okay. <laughs> Can I, can I read you a scripture? You, 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 you're going to be blown away by the scripture. John chapter 5, verse 39. Check this out. I didn't say this. Jesus did. He says this to the, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, church leaders. You search the scripture, the Torah. You think that in the Torah, you have eternal life. Semicolon. It is they, the law and the prophets. That's why he says they. Moses and the prophets, they bear witness about you. You think you have eternal life because of knowledge? Oh, my brothers and sisters, I don't mean this in any way as a slight, but there are those right now under intense persecution in worlds and lands and continents where this book is outlawed and the name of Jesus is outlawed and they have one page. And that one page has led them to live a life we can only dream of. Meanwhile, we're back at Bible trivia night 
trying to determine who's the best because they know the 66 books. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. This only matters to the degree that it points you to a living person. That's it. Without it, pride is a promise. It's a promise. That's why we have so many. That's why we've all been there. I've been, I have been such a self-righteous, arrogant Christian before. I am telling you. Somebody like, Judy, you are right now. Please don't say that. But have you ever been there? You're like, I, oh, they're not a Christian. They probably are. I doubt they are. You know, like, knowledge puffs up. And I end with this. I end with this. Look, look what it says. Luke eleven fifty two. 52. Scripture we read a moment ago. I'm done. I'm done. Right here. Luke, Luke, Luke 11. Look what it says. What are you lawyers? For you have taken away. Here it is. The key of knowledge. All right. All right. So if you're a thinking person right now, you're like, okay, but Judah, how do I, how do I keep close to the person and not do the principles and the teachings. By the way, the principles, teachings, all those things are wonderful as long as you stay close to the person, the person, the person, the person, the person. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Here's one practice. Every time you go to this book, take with you the key of knowledge. What's the key of knowledge? Jesus. He unlocks the whole book. I'm telling you, go to Noah. Don't look for Noah. Don't look for the ark. Look for Jesus. Maybe Jesus is like an ark, and everyone who's in Christ will be saved from the flood of sin, right? Like, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, whoa. Maybe Jesus is like David, and maybe Goliath is like sin. There, now, now you're getting somewhere. And Jesus and David got five smooth, so five is the number of grace. Grace defeats the Goliath, the giant, the sin that we cannot. It defeats condemnation. Jesus is David, and he kills our Goliath. Look for Jesus. When you go to this book, don't look for traditions. Don't look for mere teachings and principles and just keys to successful living. Look for the person, the one, the only one who beat death, hell, and the grave, and he lives forevermore. Look for Jesus. He's the key of knowledge. And every time we open, even if it's a verse a day or a line of a verse of a day, ask Jesus. Where are you? Show me you. Show me you. And, I, and this is the last scripture. I promise I'm ending with this. this is the, I said that was the last scripture, but then I remembered this is another scripture I wanted to share with you. And if you don't want more scripture, that makes you less spiritual. So <laughs> I'm kidding. Jesus says, words of Jesus, I'm done. When the spirit of truth comes, listen to these words. Oh, Jesus, thank you. He's come, by the way. This is before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When the spirit of truth comes, and he's come, he's here. He's going to guide you into all the truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority. Listen to what the Spirit of Jesus who is in you. You cannot say Jesus Christ is Lord without the Spirit of Jesus on the inside of you. Notice what he will do. Whatever he hears, he will speak to you. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now watch this. Jesus says, the Spirit will glorify me. See, the specialty of the Spirit of Jesus is to show you Jesus, is to show you Jesus, is to show you Jesus. So go, 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 go to the story and take with you the key of knowledge and depend on the Spirit, and he will take what is mine. I love this word, and he will declare it to you. He's going to declare it to you. He's going to remind you how forgiven you are. He's going to remind you how righteous you are. He's going to remind you who you are and what he said. He's going to explain for you the cloaked mysteries of the teachings of Jesus. And this will not be a competition of knowledge. This will be a true following of the resurrected Jesus. Church Hall, we are following a living Jesus. And his spirit is alive on the inside of us, showing us over and over who he is, what he taught, what he's about. And by that, we will always stay close to the person. And we will never replace the person for mere principles.
And for me, I'll be honest, just studying this, my passion just started to grow. My heart started to surge. I was like, now that's, that's what my 11-year-old self in Boise, Idaho signed up for. I felt Jesus burning on the inside of my soul. And I signed up to say, I will follow you wherever you go. I am not here in 2019 just because of some concepts, some ideas, some success keys or principles, or certainly not traditions of men. We are here because an event, Jesus walked through the wall. He lives forevermore, evermore. Therefore, his lifestyle and his claims are true. And we get to follow him every day. Just think what he has for you tonight and tomorrow. It's amazing, isn't it? Let me pray for you, Jesus. I thank you so much for the moments that we share. I thank you for what you're saying and what you're speaking to our community. God, no doubt, we all have experienced a time or two, our passion lagging, waning, draining. We ask that as we experience your love and your nearness and your closeness to God, our passion would increase and grow. Pray for that for our church. If you're here right now, whether in this auditorium in Los Angeles or any of our locations in Seattle watching, and you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, you can do that right now. It's so easy. Can't earn it, deserve it. Just accept it, believe it, and receive it. If you'd like to do that, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. Could be in this auditorium, you could be there in Kirkland, you could be watching in Bothell, you could be there at UD or downtown, or you could be right now watching on the app, wherever you may be, I don't think it's an accident, God is speaking to you right now. On the count of three, if you would like to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and spend eternity with him. His forgiveness is full and complete. Every error, wrong, and sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, is forgiven forever. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, shoot up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. All over those locations in Seattle, even right now watching on the app, even if in your home, just raise your hand. I receive the forgiveness of Jesus. God, I thank you that your forgiveness flows freely. And whom the Son forgives, he forgives all the way. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your love. God, we love you. What a privilege it is to receive your forgiveness and walk with you and work with you and watch how you do it. We love you, Jesus. Again, Lord, we thank you that our passion is growing day by day. May we be known by the resurrection. May we be known, Lord, that you beat death, that you are alive forevermore. This event has changed human history. Our church is built on it. We love you. It's our honor and our privilege in these moments of singing together now as we use music as a platform to connect with you. We pray we would experience your nearness, that our hearts would burn within us, and we would sense your love and your affection and your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.